Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, so welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be talking about nonfiction. All the nonfiction that we've been reading over the year, some things that are coming out that we're looking forward to, and uh, all that good stuff. So, did you notice, I want to ask you, Gail, because I just saw it this morning and I did a little bit of voting, that it, mm. the 10th Annual Goodreads Choice Awards is up and live. Yeah, so I got an email about that, and I glanced at it, and then I deleted it, because I was like, I don't, I don't like when... Like, I have to pick from other people's picks instead of picking my own. (laughs) You are so weird. (laughs) (laughs) You have to pick all the book club books and you can't vote. I know. Control freak. All right. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open that email up again. So do you want to know some of the the look? Okay. so, So some of the books that I noticed in looking through the list were some that we have mentioned. So you would probably find some good picks to vote for. Well, you wouldn't like Vox because it is up for an award. I think it's either best horror or best science fiction. I'm not sure. Um, Baby Teeth is up for best horror. Um, they have a best of the best category. And some of... Wait, here, let me click. I'm going to click through here. Hold on one second. Some of the choices in there were Columbine by Dave Cullen... The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Oh, interesting. So it's not just this year. Well, that one category was just like the best of all of the best chosen over the last 10 years. I don't know if they're doing that because it's the last 10 years. I just read a book called There, There by Tommy Orange, which I will talk about a little bit later. So it's nominated in one of the categories. Okay, I'm I'm laughing because my reaction is like, oh, I've never read any of these. Meanwhile, I just opened the opening round nominees, and I've read the entire top row, half of the second row. I know. I know. You're right. I was being ridiculous. You're right. And American Marriage is up for some. Girls Burn Brighter. Yeah. Everything Here is Beautiful. I Am, I Am, I Am. I was reading through a lot of these, and I was thinking of you because there were quite yeah, a few right. that I noticed that you had read. Where did you see Vox? I'm looking for it. Is it under science fiction? I feel like it's, it's under... It's not under horror. It's, it pro- maybe under science fiction then. It wasn't... Or I don't... Yeah. I think it was under one of those. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. It's taking a little while to load. Okay. I was way too... Uh, hasty. Hasty. Yeah. Here it is under... Oh, that's funny. Vox and Red Clocks are both here. I was way too hasty and dismissive, and I will go back and vote. <laughs> I I withdraw my complaint. Out of Vox and – well, of course, you would probably go for Red Clocks because you didn't like Vox that much. Yeah, I would definitely go for Red Clocks, which I'm still halfway through because – I did find it, by the way. Um, but I haven't – I just finished a different book, so I, I haven't picked that back up again. I like how helpful Goodreads is because they're just like nominees you have on your shelves and – so of those, it's, oh. they list like The Great Alone, which I haven't read, which I was saying last week that I want to read, but I still haven't gotten a chance to it yet. Uh, the Death of Mrs. Westaway, which I didn't read. Bad Blood, which I read and loved. I've heard such good things about that book. Which one? Bad Blood. Oh, it's so good. I think you would really like it. 
I know I would like to read it. We should talk about that today for Nonfiction November. Yeah, I can mention it. All right, so now that that's over and I have done my duty and now Gail is going to be voting in the Goodreads. <laughs> yes, Nicole has done her good deed of the day. Annual Choice Awards. What are you reading now? You're still reading your same books. Okay, yeah, so I'm still mired because of the move and the craziness. But the update from last week is I found Red Clocks. It was in this box of like an unclosed box of files that I was like, oh, this is one of the first things I'll unpack in the new den. <laughs> and of course, like, I still haven't unpacked the new den, but I did find it. So I have that. Did you find your dog treats? Is your dog happy? I did find my dog treats. I'm down to one thing I haven't, well, the two things I haven't found. One is, <laughs> this is so boring. One is um, my son's school directory. He loves looking through the directory because it has pictures of all the teachers. So He loves I looking can't. at pictures of his teachers. Yeah, like the whole school. He likes to see who's in all the classes. He's He just loves, like, he'll spend hours poring over the school directory. Well, I guess it's the first part of the year, so. Yeah. Well, I don't know where it is. So <laughs> I actually was in his school the other day, and I grabbed him another one. So that's been solved. And now the latest thing I can't find is tomorrow is Halloween, of course. And he's going as a Washington Nationals player. And I specifically left his Nationals hat out. I said, do not pack this because we will need it soon after we move for his Halloween costume. And it's nowhere to be found. And I can't find it. Yeah. So I spent a good 45 minutes last night looking for it. And I will have to look for it tonight because Halloween's tomorrow. So in the Bad Mom Awards, I'm winning because I've lost the hat and I've lost his directory. But I at least managed to replace that. I did find the dog treats and I did find Red Clocks. (laughs) Were the dog treats with Red Clocks? No, the dog trees. Because you had said had that come, you were going to put them together, and it's fascinating how they just ended up not together. They were not together. The dog treats were in the original box they had been shipped in, and I think the the movers the, just saw a box, put tape on it, it's unlabeled, and just sent it in with the rest of them. <laughs> so I was like, "What's this small box?" And I opened it. I was like, "Oh, the dog treats are here." <laughs> so your dog is very happy today. That's yeah, good. The dog is happy. My son, not so much. So anyway, I have I Red Clocks is waiting to be resumed either in print or on audio because my nice friend at work, thank you Tiffany, um, gave you the sent print. me her yeah no she gave me the audio she gave me a oh yeah she that's shared right. her audible copy with me yeah so I've got that on my phone so when I finish my current audio I can switch back to Red Clocks or I can finish it in print and I also just finished the other print I was reading so. And, I'm, and I only have like an hour and a half left of the other audio. So everything's kind of coming to a head. Okay, so let's <laughs> hold off on what you finished reading and let's zero in on you had started an audio when you couldn't find Red Clocks. You started uh, the Nicole Chung memoir. Yeah, and that's nonfiction. Right. Um, All You Could Ever Know, I think is what it's called. It's one of those ones with the generic sounding title. So I'm about um, an hour from finishing that one and um it's good it's i like it it's not like uh, it's not earth shattering it's kind of a quiet interior emotional book about being adopted and her identity and uh growing up and how she then tracks down her sister relationship with her sister relationship with her birth mother so it's uh it's good and this it's is good. transracial like adoption right Transracial. She's Korean. Um, she was adopted by a white family. You know, it's, I read some Goodreads reviews of it yesterday, and most of them were very positive. They One thing that is praised over and over, and I think it's merited, is her writing. It's very clear, honest, 
um, there's no artifice to it. It just feels like extremely personal and heartfelt. And it's funny. Somebody said this book could be could be a lot shorter, and we've already discussed the fact that it's not a very long book. <laughs> it's so short. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only 250 pages anyway. Um, and I do think there's some repetition and some stuff that could be pared down, but it's uh, it's good. I'm enjoying it. I'm glad I read it. Good. So when that's done, maybe I'll switch it back over to Red Clocks. Well, so you won't have any audio woes, no trying to figure out what's next. You already have what's next. Right. Exactly. I'm all, it's all teed up. So what are you reading in print? I forgot. So I just finished Girl Unknown okay, by Karen Perry. Okay, I that. Yep. And, um, Did you start anything new in print? No, I just finished it okay. like, this morning, like, like two hours ago. So do you have any thoughts on what you might pick up next in print? Um, I'm always curious, book. how do you decide? Because you go a lot by mood. Like, yes, I spent all this time I'm getting so super organized about everything for November, and I've decided – you know, I pulled these 16 books that I want to be my list that I'm picking from. Yeah. Because sometimes I get so haphazard and I forget about all the things that I have left that I've been saying I really want to read. So I did yeah. a good mix of like four or five books that haven't come out yet that are future and like, you know, six books that I've really been wanting to read that I haven't read and book club books. So I've got myself a nice mix. And I want to try picking only from those books in November. So I'm doing a little bit of an experiment. That's cool. But you choose books based on how yeah. you're feeling when you finished a book. And ha- what like what determines that? Like, do you read a book if you're heavy? Do you go to something light? Or do you want something more in the I same vein of totally what you're depends. reading? Or? It's very impulsive. Like, I don't have a really good system for it. I mean, sometimes it's determined by book club. Sometimes it's determined by library books. But if not, if I don't have a pressing, you know, something that has to be read, um, it's like, it's very random. Right. It's just, you know, I pick it up and I read the first line. And if it hooks me, then I'm like, okay, I'll do that one. So I've just, um, I just unpacked all of the books. All of the TBR are now on shelves. They're now all visible. I can see their spines. They're all vertical. Um, <laughs> and which is for me really huge. Like they're all in one have room. Have you arranged them in any particular way? Not particularly. Like they're just I, on the shelves. They're just on the shelves. And I mean, I suppose what I could do is go through them and put the higher priority books on lower shelves because the ones at the high shelves are still pretty high. But, um, uh, yeah, they're all doing. The- they're all together. I'm gonna send. I almost Facetimed you last night because I wanted to show it to you. I think I'll just take some pictures and send them to you because it's. There are a lot, and I mean, it's. I mean, I must have gotten rid of half of them, and there are still so many. But um, we should do that too in our Facebook group. I should post. We should post pictures of our shelves. Oh, I would love to. And encourage now. people to, because I'm so. I'm always super curious about what books people have. Yeah. And how they yeah, arrange no, shelves. that would be cool. I just I just arranged my so my ARC shelf. Like I have one shelf that's probably about seventy books that are all arcs. And in my project, yeah, see, I don't um I don't separate them out. But for me, they're all mixed in. I feel very differently about arcs than I do about real books. I have lots of mixed feelings about arcs, so I do keep them separate. It's so interesting because to me, it's like the book is the book. I don't really care. No, they tinker with them. Sometimes I make small changes to them. Sometimes I read stuff and I'm just like, is this something that's going to change? Especially if you've gotten like, you you know, like if you have an arc of something that's coming out 
in March of 2019 and you got it in May of 2018, some things could change. Yeah, that's true. I kind of like the arc. I feel like it was hard won <laughs> by my efforts in the blog. So I'm like, you know, all that reviewing time and the podcasting that earned me that book. So then I'm like, I don't want to give it up. And I feel like if that's the version of it I read, that's the version I want to keep. Right. That's weird. I was going to ask you something else. Okay, so you are arranging your shelves. The TBR is in no particular order, but you the might TBR is in no particular order. It. So, but yeah, you, the rest of the shelves are alphabetical by author. And you've put fiction. those up. Yeah, that's all up. Fiction's all up. Um, then my husband's books, which I had to include because you know. So um, <laughs> does he have his own f- shelf? <laughs> yeah, he has. Like, so imagine the library is like a U. Like we've had, we built in shelves. Like it's not a very large room, but it covers three out of the four walls. So it's like a big U. So if you start at one end of the U, it's all fiction, alphabetical by author. And then you hit, that kind of goes halfway down the room. And then in the second half of the room, one section of that U is all of his nonfiction, political. There's like an entire wall, entire shelf of presidential biographies so there's those go chronological by president and then there's a bunch of political books and then there's a bunch of foreign policy and national security books and some south africa stuff and china stuff and travel stuff so that's all his stuff and then then starts my section again so the other side of the u has my couple of shelves of nonfiction, and for me that tends to be books about music pop culture um some uh, favorite, like Caroline Knapp, just authors I really like. So just nonfiction, memoir type stuff. And then there is this massive expanse of TBR. And those are not in any particular order. I may at some point go through, but at this, I just wanted to get them out of the boxes and onto the shelves. There's, you know, hundreds of those. So, but they're all there. So I feel like now I can make a much better decision about what I want to read because I can see everything. And you can probably even call some more as you go along. Yes, I absolutely can call some more. And that's that'll be my goal over the next few months is to pare that list down. But I can't get any new ones. Like I've already stressed about BEA next year because I used up all the shelves. Oh, so I, I know. So I think I think calling is going to be in order. So and then meanwhile, here in my office, I have because um, I'm at work. Don't tell anybody. Um, I have a couple of library books, which I didn't want to lose. So I brought them. I didn't want them to get lost in the move, like the dog treats and the baseball hat. So those are here. And one of those is the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. So I may just read that one next because I want to read it and it's a library book and I'm now ready for it. Right. So, so that may be my next one. It'll be that, or it'll be your book club, um, the cloud in the shape of a girl. Yep. And that book I've already taken off the shelf and put next to my bed. So those are the next two reads, I think. Okay. Our, and what is, what, what's up next for you? All right. So right now I just got on audio transcription by Kate Atkinson. Okay. It's her latest. It's set in the 1940s. It's about an 18 year old um, girl who's recruited into MI5 and she works in a section, I guess she's responsible for monitoring Um, who might be British fascists, and that's what she does. It says that her job is sort of tedious but terrifying. So it looks like she goes through that part of her life. You know, she does her service. She moves on with her job, 
I mean, with her life, and she is working in the BBC, and this is 10 years later, where some some unfinished business from her spy life starts to turn up. So I really like Kate Atkinson. I've read Life After Life by her. I still haven't gotten a chance to read any of the Jackson Brody mysteries, but I want to do that, you know, at some point in the in the eventual future, or maybe even check out some of episodes from the BBC series. But so that's going to be what I'm listening to. And then I just started this book called The Caregiver by Samuel Park. And it is about this mother-daughter relationship. It's set in, in two places. One is in present-day United States, and the other is in 1980s Brazil. And that's when she's growing up with her mother. They have this you know, very close, really sweet relationship. And then her mother makes some decisions she and she gets involved in this this civilian rebellion against a police chief who's kind of corrupt. So it affects their relationship. It affects the, I guess, their safety and security in Brazil. And then the daughter comes to the United States. She settles in California where she gets a job as a caregiver to a woman who's dying of stomach cancer. And of course, while she's there and caring for this woman and adjusting to this new culture, she sort of tries to put her relationship with her mother in perspective and, you know, kind of discovering some of what what drove her mother and why she made the choices that she did. And so far, it's so good. It's really good. It's by Samuel Park. I don't know if I said that. But he actually died right after completing this book of stomach cancer. So it has like that added level of poignancy. Wow. So that's what I'm working on. I just finished... There, there by Tommy Orange. Ooh, report back. I want to know what you think. It's so good. I just, I like, I just finished it. I stayed up until, I think I went to bed at midnight after read twelve thirty after reading this book, finishing this book. Oh wow! So this one is about. It's looking at the lives of different na- Native Americans, and to it's discussing Native American identity. You know what it means to be Native American and. You know, what it means to be Native, even if you look as if you're white, and like the history of how Native people have been treated in this country and how they survive. And it does this by examining the lives of about 12 to 13 Native Americans. It's telling their stories as they prepare for this, the first powwow that they're going to be having in Oakland, California. So it's a lot, too, about Oakland and how they view Oakland as their home and the community that they've established there. So there's this this omniscient narrator who in, narrates some sections of the book, and he basically gives an alternate history. I would say there's things that are reported in American history that, from Native perspective, just is not true. So he gives some context for that history and how... Native identity and culture has has evolved. And then you have all this, you know, the stories of Native people who are growing up in Oakland and if they know what tribe they're from and their relationships with their families. So, and it's really interesting because there's something big that happens at the powwow. So you see that it leading up to the powwow and then you get to see what happens when they have it. And it's just a really good story. You really get into a lot of different characters. It's illuminating about the Native culture. It will definitely surprise you um, with some of the history. You know, if you're not familiar with Native American history, it's a different take on it. 
Um, I have that book from BEA and he was signing and I remember I went up to him and I said, you just had an amazing review in the Washington Post like that morning. And he was like, yeah, I know. I said, this has obviously been a good week for you. So um, I, I've got that sitting on the TBR shelf. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that you liked it. Yeah, I did. It's so good. So an update on the heart's invisible theories. So that book is <laughs> so long. It's a good 550, 600 pages. So I've made it through part one of that. I'm having a little difficulty picking it up for part two, partially because I'm just sort of a little bit devastated by the events of part one. So I'm giving it a little bit of a break, but I def- it's so good. And I definitely recommend that one. And I was talking to Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelf. She Instagrammed me and she said that she really thought that you would like Ladder to the Sky, that it was a darker book. Because The Heart's Invisible Theories, it's it's a really interesting book because it's it's very serious. You know, it's set in, it starts in Ireland, I think, in like the ni- late, 1940s maybe or 1950s and is about this um this young man who's trying to find his identity he, he is adopted you know it's told in an interesting way because at some point he must meet up with his birth mother because it starts out with him telling stories of what his birth, birth mother has told him and sort of narrating a little bit of her life before it jumps into his upbringing with the Avery family, the people he meets and the relationships that he forms and, you know, what it, what it means to be gay in Irish society, what it means to grow up in such a patriarchal country. And so there's a lot that goes on there. And it, you know, I get to the end of the, the first part and I don't know, it's, it's so hard to kind of regroup and go on, but I expect I'll be doing that. And I recommend the book. The last thing I'm going to talk about is things that white make that make white people uncomfortable by Michael Bennett. I read that and that was interesting. Michael Bennett is a football player. He played he used to play for the Seattle Seahawks and I believe that he is with the Philadelphia Eagles now. So he talks about, you know, the politics of the NFL. He talks a lot about the the kneelings in the stadium, what happened with Colin Kaepernick, you know, how he feels as a black man in the football system and sort of his views on education and and some of the changes that we need to make to address some of the difficulties that we're having in this country. So it's really, you know, it's a really interesting read from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed that. So what were you saying? Tell me about the book you just finished. Oh, did we talk okay, about Girl it? Unknown. Oh, Girl Unknown. No, I don't Karen think so. Curry. Girl Unknown, yeah. So the good side of it is <laughs> I actually thought it was an incredibly well-written book. Like uh-huh. just thought the the detail, the observation, I thought the way the characters behaved felt very realistic. It was it, – it's, a, it's, a, it's about – I think I talked about this last week. It's about a married couple with two kids and – uh, the, the husband is a professor and uh, one of his students comes up to him one day and she's basically like, you're my father. She said, you, you know, his, her mother, her birth mother had been one, a, an ex-girlfriend of his. He had never known she was pregnant. They had broken up. And as it turned out, she'd had this daughter and this girl is saying, I'm your daughter. So when I picked it up, I thought it was going to be kind of a domestic novel about this family and the relationships and how the, and the, the, 
insertion of this daughter at age 18 or 19 had these ripple effects to the family. It turns out it's really more of a thriller Mm -hmm. because the daughter has some issues with the truth and she's got some evil in her. And so the book really turns out to be a thriller and it has some twists at the end and it turns out to be much darker and more less realistic than I expected. She's got some evil in her. Does, uh, is that a spoiler? How soon do you find out she's got some evil in her? Yeah, pretty quickly. Okay. Pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, you realize that like she's, for example, when the husband is out of the room, she's saying things to the wife and acting differently when the husband comes back in the room. So you realize like she's not reliable. Right. And so, um, it it was like, I guess it kept my attention. And again, the good, the good writing is what kind of kept me going through it because I just don't think it was at the end that interesting of a story, Mm -hmm. but it was, I think it was actually written by two people. I think the name Karen Perry are two people's first names. Hmm. Um, looking that up right now, Karen Perry authors. Yeah. So they are Irish and she, um, let's see. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a man and a woman. Melon is taking a little while. The pen name of Dublin-based authors Paul Perry and Karen Gillies. Okay, so it's his last name and her first name. Um, so I, the book is told in alternating chapters between the husband and the wife, and I am assuming that they each took one of those voices, um, although the writing is very consistent throughout, so it may be that they both just worked on the whole thing together. I've, I don't know how they divided it up. Um, but it was good. It was it was a library book. Um, it, like... If, if it were not a library book, I guess the test is would I have kept it or would I have passed it on? I think I would have passed it on. It's not, not a book I'd pick up again, I don't think. Right. But it was uh, – somebody recommended it. It may have been Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves. I can't remember who I who I heard about it from, but I basically read it because it was a library book and it was, it was a new release, so I had to get to it quickly. And it was fine. It was – it got me through the move. But I'd like to, I'm ready. I'm ready for something a little more emotionally hefty. Right. Well, but, you said but for I, the movie, you needed something that was really going to grab you because the emotionally hefty stuff was sort of too much. Yeah. It was yes. It was the emotional hefty stuff was ha- was happening in the house. Like I didn't need that in <laughs> right. my escape reading. You didn't need any more um, heft. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that's probably enough about that book. All right. So then we shall move on to our nonfiction November extravaganza yeah so i have four i picked four of my favorite nonfiction from the year and then i have about six fiction uh non-fictions that i want to read some of which are new and some of which are not not as new okay so what have been your favorites of the year i'm curious so my favorites, I have four. Um, the first one is one I read relatively recently called I Am, I Am, I Am by Maggie O'Farrell. Up for, a good, story. Up for a good Goodreads Award. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've made your point. Uh, that is the book about Maggie O'Farrell's brushes with death. And each chapter is got some theme about a time in her life where she was in a precarious situation, either through illness or accident or happenstance and um it's it was a really really moving book she's a beautiful writer I listened to that one on audio I can't remember if that was narrated by her or not um and it just it was just really good really compelling very memorable and so that is probably my top 
nonfiction pick of the year so far. Okay. How about you? What else do, what do you, you have? have? Oh, do you want me to go through mine and then will you, you can go through yours? Yeah. Okay. So my next one is called Happiness, a Memoir. I read this book over the summer. It is about a woman who has a, a daughter who has a congenital issue with her, I can't remember if it was her lungs or her heart. And it's kind of about the first harrowing years of her daughter's life when they were in and out of hospitals all the time and trying to figure out what to do for her, what kind of um, uh, medical intervention she was going to need, whether it would work. And at the same time, she's not involved with the girl's father. And so she's doing a lot of this on her own. But then the father kind of reenters the picture and it's about their forming a family together. It was just really good. It was... Also very honest and, um, I mean, suspenseful. It felt suspenseful even though you knew that the daughter was going to be okay in the end. But you just kind of going through that with her and, I don't know, getting in the mindset of a parent with a with a really, really sick kid and, and how you kind of cope every day and get through that and all of the stress and emotion that goes along with that. I found it very compelling to read. So that was what that was made my top four um, the next one is Nomadland, which I read last spring, and that is by Jessica Bruder, and it's a book about the new demographic of older Americans who can't afford to live in houses or apartments because they can't pay the rent or the mortgage, and as a result, they buy RVs and they become part of a mobile workforce. So it's these rootless Americans who drive to seasonal work, whether it's a beet factory in Wisconsin or it's an Amazon um, warehouse facility at the holidays or it's a national park during the summer when people are camping. These jobs that don't provide any benefits and don't provide any safety net or insurance but need a seasonal workforce have now attracted these older people who drive to them and then do very difficult work. Like when they were describing the amount of walking involved in being an Amazon um, picker, like somebody who goes up and down those aisles in the warehouses and picks off the merchandise to fulfill orders. I mean, it's pretty harrowing what these people go through and how they have so little money and can't afford medical care and are living in these RVs. Really, really interesting book. The author, you know, really got in to this community. She even did some of these jobs and lived out of an RV for a few months. Um, so I thought this was really good. I listened to that one on audio. It's narrated by Karen White. And uh, I highly recommend that book. So sort of in that vein, I am reading, because I just sort of picked it up, and maybe I'm a third of the way through, Made by Stephanie Land. Oh, that's on my uh TBR nonfiction. Yes, it's coming out in January. I actually have an extra copy of that book. Somehow I have more than one. So I think I'm going to post it somewhere in case anyone wants to read it. But it's it's similar to what you're saying about people who have arduous jobs and don't have access to resources. It's about this woman who basically doesn't have any family who can help her out of a difficult situation. She's a single parent. Um, Her boyfriend had been abusive she has this big custody battle going on and she you know she finds work as a maid cleaning houses and it's just sort of 
about her life, just trying to piece together a life for her and her daughter. You know, they moved from a homeless shelter to sort of transitional housing. She wants to be a writer. And it's just how she tries to do everything that she can to, um, I guess, propel herself to the life that she wants to be living and how difficult that can be when when there are so many requirements, almost like there's so many requirements to your poverty. She talks a lot about how you have to work these jobs, but in order to get like any kind of assistance to help you in your life, you they require you to go in for these appointments and meetings and that you have to, you know, take time off of work and show up in different ways and how difficult it can be to mm-hmm. make a living. So I don't know, just what I'm reading is reminding me a lot of what you just talked about with Nomadland. Mm-hmm. And Made reminds me a lot of one of the nonfiction books right? yeah, that I read in my life that had the biggest impact on me of almost any book I've ever read, which is Nickel and Dime by Barbara Ehrenreich, who I noticed wrote the foreword for Made. Yes, she, she created a program where she is trying to champion writers, you know, because she talks about how we need writers who are actually experiencing the things that we're writing about, as opposed to people, you know, who Mm -hmm. are in these situations temporarily or who, you know, people who study the problem as opposed to voices from that population. Yep. I love Barbara Ehrenreich. Um, So she kind of took her under her wing and she's created a program to encourage, you know, encourage and nurture those voices. And I think, um, so Stephanie Land was really involved in that program, oh, and really she cool. was really involved in, I guess, nurturing her and bringing her. You know, she wrote the foreword. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So Nomadland is kind of of that vein. I mean, it's a little bit more of a, a narrower slice than Nickel and Dime, which is just about kind of minimum wage workers in general. Um, so yeah, I think that's. I think if you liked one, you'd probably like the other. When you say that nickel and dimed, you said that one's the one that had a big impact on you. Yeah. Like, what do you mean by that? How do you think it changed? Oh my God. You? I mean, reading about like, <laughs> I always say that's the book that made me stop complaining about my job. Like I remember reading that book about reading about one of the people she was writing about. She interviewed or she actually, you know what she did? She did the jobs. Barbara Ehrenreich basically like, Yes. Like left her, left her home, left her comfortable existence and went and did a couple of different jobs. She was a hotel maid. I think she worked at Walmart. Um, I think uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones she did. I actually would love to reread that book, but like one of the things she talked about was how like some jobs, like she couldn't get a bathroom break. And, you know, I sit here in my like cushy office and basically if I need to use the bathroom. I just get up and go use the bathroom. I can never think about it. If it's time for me to go get lunch, I go get my, unless I'm in a meeting, I just go get lunch. Like I don't, I take for granted so many of the freedoms I'm offered as a employee, the trust that's put in me that I'm going to get my job done. And you know, if I need to go do something in the middle of the day, I go do it. Um, Right. That you're not getting people to sign paperwork to say, Hey, I was here looking for a job or Hey, I did what I had to do. Right. Right. And I just think about that book all the time, like the number of people who have jobs that give them so little flexibility and freedom and pay so little. And at the end of the day, they're working so hard and making so little money. There was a, a show 
Did you ever watch the show 30 Days by Morgan Spurlock? I know he's no. like, he's kind of gone a little off the rails lately, but he, first he had his big success with that show, that movie, Super Size Me, where he basically ate nothing but McDonald's for like a year or something. Or and started to months. die. <laughs> he started, yeah, he got really sick. But after that, he had this amazing show called 30 Days. And um, he would basically do something for 30 days, something unusual. He would like lived in prison for 30 days or he did something. And one of the things he did, unless I'm confusing it with a different, a different special or something that he did, but he and his girlfriend basically took these minimum wage jobs and they went, they moved somewhere with like very little money. They had to get themselves an apartment, furnish it, find jobs and live for a month or some, there was some experiment like this. So if it wasn't part of the 30 days, then it was a different format, but that's basically what they did. And they were working these jobs. And I remember that the girlfriend, his girlfriend got a UTI. So she was in tremendous discomfort and pain and she had this UTI. They didn't have healthcare and she had to get to the emergency room so she could get the antibiotics and them talking about like how they, they didn't have the money, like how expensive the medicine was, how expensive the office, the, the ER visit was, how she was missing work. And they were living so hand to mouth that like, I was like, my God, like I, you know, if I'm sick or my kids are sick, I don't ever think about that. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I have the luxury of being able to afford the medication and we have insurance and I don't have to, you know, lose hours at work. And I, I always think back to that episode where she, they were making these really difficult choices, like about how are they going to get to the hospital? And like, they had to take the bus and they didn't, you know, and like, they were trying to be very, very faithful to this experiment they were doing and not bring in extra money that they, because they had other money, of course, they were just trying to make this point. But that show and the nickel and dimed book, like those two combined, i like remind me on a daily basis of how lucky I am. That was one thing with the accident that I really learned, you know, in order, I mean, in terms of having any family or any kind of support to help you, mm-hmm. you know, I think about if I had to be on the subway, cause I didn't take the subway anywhere, you know, it was like, I was in a car service for everything that I did, you know, it was like Uber or Lyft or something. So yeah, not trying to have to figure out how to navigate right. the transit system, you know, when you're sick or you've, you know, when you've broken your leg, right. it's like, how do people do this? And I had, I had enough difficulties as, as I did with resources available. Right. And it's kind of a depressing note, but those, that's why those books have had such an impact on me. And then, okay, I'll just do my last, my, I know I've talked about this book a million times. My fourth nonfiction of the year is the Born to Run memoir by Bruce Springsteen which still really sticks out at me. It's very memorable 10 months after I read it or listened to that one on audio. And, uh, it was, it was really good. So I'm going to add that to my list of nonfiction. So you said for that book, it was basically what the stories that he tells about his life growing up, or is it the music stuff? Like what really resonated with that book? For um, you? for me, I have to be honest, the, the music stuff I like better than the stories about his life growing up. And there's a lot of minutia. That's a book that could be pared down. Right. There's lots of minutia about the, all the guys who were in his first bands and his relationships <laughs> with all of those guys and Bruce, you know, surfing, couch surfing from apartment to apartment after like his parents kicked him out and you know, like just, just a lot of that. 
lots of, you know, I'm glad for him that he remembers all that. I don't know if I needed to know all of that. So I found it more interesting how he was forming the E Street Band when he was starting to get really popular. Um, you know, the, the the origins of some of his songs that I really like. Um, his personal life, his life with Patty, his life with the wife he had before, that kind of ill-fated marriage when he was married to that actress. So um, I just I just loved it, and I loved hearing Bruce narrate it, and I felt like I was in the car with Bruce for a couple weeks, and that was pretty cool. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to briefly go through my list of things that I've read this year that I really liked because I feel like I have run on and on about some of them. So Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grann, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Um, I've talked about both of those at length. They are really excellent educated by Tara Westover that is all over the place um I don't think I need to say too much by that bad I think I've seen that on some best of lists as well oh yeah I'm sure I'm so sure um bad blood by John Carreau I know I went on about this maybe a month or so ago on the podcast but I just thought this was such a fascinating story and so well written It is that there are no stories, so it's about Elizabeth Holmes and just how she basically was able to get a company that was valued at $5.7 billion without having a product that went along with it. And she was involved with some very high-ranking people, both within the government and just, you know, just having billionaire support, you know, lots of lots of big money support and it just goes to show you how so many people do things because other people have done them as opposed to doing their due diligence it's just a fascinating book yeah i've heard great things about that book. it's so good and he didn't have access to her so it's not like you really get to know a lot about her motivation or how she was spending the money or if she was spending all of her time at work i mean he does mention that she goes to some some high profile events and she does interviews, but it was a fascinating story, even though she's a bit of a cipher. Like I'd like to do some more independent research on her because I'm just so curious about her personality. Is she in jail? I don't think she's in jail. I think she's on trial. Okay. Or she might've been sentenced. I know that the company was just, disbanded I think in June it finally went out of business I mean they they even though this this book came out earlier this year this company was still limping along so um, let me see what else was on my list I just mentioned the Michael Bennett book Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah so I think that's about it for me okay so let's jump into what were we going to go over the um, t- things that nonfiction that we'd like to read. Okay. Upcoming or not. Okay. Um, you want to start? All right. So up first, I have this book called An Unexplained Death. It's by Makita Brotman. She wrote this book called The Maximum Security Book Club, Reading Literature in a Man's Prison. I looked on Goodreads and I was sort of middle of the road about it. I really liked the idea of learning about how you operate a book club in prison. And I really liked the stories of some of the men. I think she was a little overbearing in her expectations of what she wanted to get out of the experience. And initially the books that she was picking for them to all read, you know, were not accessible or things that they could relate to. And I, she was very aware of that. 
But it's interesting because I saw a comment on Book Reads that says, you know, she basically thinks they wanted more of the book club with the men's story. And it was more like a great white savior story. And there were definitely aspects of that that I think she was cognizant about. So that book was not entirely satisfactory, but I did really like her writing. So now she has a book called An Unexplained Death. And it's about, you know, she notices the details on a missing poster and just becomes obsessed with finding out what happened to this man. She sees a picture of a man in a bow tie and tux, and she does a little research and finds out who his, he is. His name is Ray Rivera, and he supposedly commits suicide at this hotel, and she does like a whole bunch of investigating and maybe starts to think that there was some foul play involved. So, And she starts delving into research about the history of people who have also committed suicide at the same hotel. So I'm curious to read that. She is someone, she is like a serial memoir writer. So there's that memoir about her her interactions with the prison guys. She has one about reading. She has one about her relationship with a dog. So I'm, I want to give this one a try. I think it's out November 6th. Okay. So I have a book that I want to read called Belonging by Nora Krug. It is a graphic I won't say it's a novel because it's nonfiction, but it's in the format of a graphic novel. And it's about growing up in post-war Germany and how German citizens have tried to come to terms with the Holocaust. And um, this just looked really good. I actually requested this one from the publisher and it came and I've got it at home and I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, Just all about the guilt and how, how Germans have tried to, sort of live with themselves since World War II. Okay. So next up, I have a book that, well, I have a couple of books, actually, that I would put in the same category on books that I have read fictional counterparts to. So I'm really interested Mm -hmm. in exploring some nonfiction in that area. So the first is Little Dancer, Age 14. It's by Camille Lauren. Um, It's a book in translation. It was translated by Willard Wood, and it's out on other press. So I read this book called The Painted Girls by Kathy Marie Buchanan. And I really, I mean, I really like Kathy Marie Buchanan. She wrote another book, I think, about Niagara Falls that I really enjoyed. So she's a historical fiction writer. And so she just did such a good job with the little dancer story that I'm interested to hear the nonfiction counterpart. So, and it just talks about the struggles of late 19th century life in Paris, how this dancer who, you know, basically is famed for this Degas painting, pretty much no one knows who she is or what her real name was. It was Marie Van Gotham. And it just talks about how difficult her life might have been, how she worked as a little rat in the Paris opera, in addition to dancing and what an arduous profession that is to have she had to have other jobs in order to support that career because it was not enough for her to make a living so that one's out on November 20th and then the other one I had read Jennifer Shiverini's book about Ada Lovelace and now I'm blanking on what the name of it was (laughs) but there is a nonfiction book coming out on November 6th it's called In Byron's Wake the turbulent the Turbulent Lives of Lord Byron's Wife and Daughter, Annabelle Milbank, and Ada Lovelace. Now, 
um, in the non in the fiction version, they had such a contentious. There was such a contentious relationship between the mother and the daughter. The mother had some jealousy issues. If she got too close to the staff, she was very obsessive in terms of keeping Ada very um, logically oriented because of you know Byron's issues and and the fact that he was dealing with a mental illness. They did not want that for their daughter. And I think actually he requested that she not do, not be involved, allowed to be involved in anything that was artistic. So there's a lot of strife between these and butting heads between these two women because I don't know, you just have a mother who seems to like crazily enforce logic and the Jennifer Shiberini story wasn't completely satisfying to me. I don't know if it was because I listened to it on audio. I suspect that I would have liked it a lot more if I had read it in print. But I'm, I was really curious about, you know, the relationship between the mother and the daughter. And so I'm going to give this one a read. Okay. I think it was called The Enchantress or, hmm, I have to think about that. So what have you got? I have one more, I think. Well, I had made on my list, okay. and I also have the library book on my list, which is one I think we've talked about on this show before that I think it just came out in the last two weeks or so. It's the Susan Orlean book about the fire at the L.A. library, L.A. public library. But from what I understand, it's a larger book about libraries themselves and what they mean to us and the impact that the loss of this library and all of its books had on, on L.A. So... That, um, you and I both picked that one up at Book Expo, and I've got that sitting at home. So now that it's out and getting a lot of attention, it's making me more interested in reading it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the last book that I have on my list is from Little Brown. It comes out on November 6th. It's by Richard Beard. It's called The Day That Went Missing. And it is about a family who's on vacation in Cornwall, um, which is the seaside. Someone told me that Cornwall is like the English Hampton. So I was like, really? (laughs) So anyway, they're on vacation. This family is on vacation. It's a family of brothers. One of them drowns. The other brothers are not allowed to attend the, the ceremony, the funeral. And the family just goes right back to, you know, enjoying the rest of the vacation. And the brother who died is just never mentioned again. What? It's, um... Yeah, they they complete the holiday and then they just never talk about it. It's supposed to be in the tra- the British tradition of, you know, just carrying on with things. Yeah. So basically, you know, 40 years later, this Richard Beard, he's an acclaimed novelist and he's always been haunted by this. So he decides to investigate, you know, like who his younger brother was and what happened and just to come to terms with that. I mean... You know, for us, that's just so shocking. And even I would think for the British, that seems like that's pretty extreme way of getting on with things. But yeah, really piqued my curiosity. So, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I have a few backlist titles that are sitting on my shelf that I really want to read. They're not that old, but um, one of them is called The Four. It's a book that came out oh, in 2017 yeah, yeah, about the four companies that have really shaped our modern life. And that's Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. And working in tech as I do and 
the fact that those companies are either our partners or ones that we talk about all the time. I'm really interested to read it. And apparently it's just, it's actually funny and well-written and it's, and it looks really good. So I have that sitting at home. I always feel like I would just be too terrified to do anything in any of those spheres if I read a book like that. But Well, I don't think this is a like cautionary circle-esque book. I think it's more about just how they've, you know, like probably they're talking Apple. They're probably talking about its impact on our usage of technology and devices and user experience. And Amazon is probably all about convenience. Right. I don't know. Well, I'll read it and I'll report back. I don't I don't think it's an ominous book. I think it's more informational. More of, yeah, more of a business type book. Okay. And then the other one that I really want to read that I've had for a while as well is called Ray and Joan. And it's about um Ray Kroc, who founded McDonald's, and his second wife, second or third wife, who was named Joan Kroc. And she was apparently a really interesting person. Like he was very conservative. And she, um, like she had, had inherited a whole bunch of money from him. And I think she gave like a whole bunch of it to NPR and she was a big benefactress for a lot of kind of liberal progressive causes. Um, and I don't know, it sounds like they had a very interesting relationship and that she was a really interesting person. I mean, so much so that someone wrote a book about her. So, uh, that came out in 2016 to a, a fair amount of fanfare and, I would like to read that one too. So that's also sitting on my shelf. So someday I'll get to those two as well. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good, a good nonfiction smattering for people who might want to get their nonfiction November fixes. Yeah. All right. I'm going to vote for the Goodreads awards now. Have I twisted your arm just a little bit? Just a little. Just a little. And I'm going to take pictures of my bookshelves, and I'll send them to you, and I'll post them. And I want to see your reorganized bookshelf, too. And I want to see your list of November books. Okay, so I will take a picture of my shelf and my November books. And until next time, happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com. And you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time.